Hello there everyone and welcome back to The Longest Night, a Game of Thrones show in conjunction with our friends at the Narth subreddit. My name is Rob and I have seen every single episode of Game of Thrones at least half a dozen times. And my name is Lizzie, and I'm watching every single episode of Game of Thrones for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Longest Night GOT. That is at Longest Night GOT. If you want to come and chat with us away from our episodes and drop us a line, just letting you know that just over a week ago, our interview with Miltos Yerolemu, who played Sirio Pharrell, went live, and that's part one. Part two will be out in a few weeks' time. And. This week, we had some uh, special photos dropped on us from the set of House of the Dragon. Um, obviously, no real idea of... Um, I mean, we know the kind of characters they're playing, but we've not really got full concrete details yet. But if you want to go and look at those, you can go and find them on our Longest Night GOT Twitter page, where we've retweeted them. Or you can go to the House of the Dragon official Twitter page as well. Um, before we get going today, we have a little announcement to make, which is that in a couple of weeks' time, for Season 3, Episode 9, uh, me and Lizzie are going to be able to watch an episode together for the very first yeah. time. The lockdown laws are lifting uh, another step in the UK on May 17th, and on that day, me and Lizzie are going to watch Season 3, Episode 9 together, and I think um, we'll try and do something to mark the occasion. Maybe we'll do like a, an instant reaction thing or something like that, just to sort of know that we were in the room together and prove it to everybody else <laughs> before we do the main episode a couple of days later. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lizzie, how are we doing at the moment? How, how are we? Um, yeah, good. Although a little bit nervous, because um, it's one of those things, we've, I know we've discussed this, but... Um, about that episode nine, it just sort of gets me thinking, why does he want to watch that specific episode with me? Why is that the one that's... I, I know the lockdown laws are easing, but I don't think you would have done it for this one if this had fallen on that date. I think I probably would have done it for any episode. Um, I think I really? am eager to just kind of sit with you in a room and obviously you know because it's an episode nine, it's, you know, I think, you know, that if it was an earlier season episode like episodes like one to three or something like that maybe you know i would have waited until like the next week just to see if you were sure but because mm. it's a later season one because things get more momentous as things go on um i do want to sit with you and kind of watch a watch an episode with you and try and get the full experience of uh one of the more 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 intense episodes you know like sort of just that comes later in the season like they do yeah all right not long now no not long at all i'm very very excited for it um, but before we get to episode 9, we've got to talk about episode 7, so we'll get to that. This week, we are going to be discussing season 3, episode 7 of Game of Thrones, entitled The Bear and the Maiden Fair. The episode was written by A Song of Ice and Fire series creator George R.R. R. Martin, and it was directed by Michelle McLaren. It was first broadcast on May 12th, 2013, to an audience of 4.84 million people. So, Lizzie, when you watched this the first time, you messaged mm. me with a bit of your reaction. Has it changed at all on the second viewing, or are you still basically in the same spot? I still think it's a mostly decent episode. Um, it's one of those transitional episodes that you're always going to get in a season like this. It's it's not it can't be firing on all cylinders at all times. You have to have those 
those episodes that get you from point A to point B. I think what I was most sort of, I guess, frustrated, even annoyed or upset about is that you told me that we had possibly seen the worst of Theon's torture. And I think this week it gets amped up just that little bit more, if anything. Yeah, I suppose um, when I was saying that we'd maybe seen the worst of Theon's torture, it was more the Mm. sense that, at least in this episode, we don't actually see anything. It's sort of implied what happens to him. Um, The feeling of misery Mm. probably doesn't get any better, but you don't have to witness the gore and you don't have to witness him having his skin peeled off or anything. It's all kind of, you know... Someone shuts a door, the camera blurs away, we transition to another scene, that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's it's less physical and more psychological, which in a way is worse. Because, mm. yeah, you're having to put yourself in Theon's head in that moment and, oh, fucking hell. Yeah, awful stuff. Um, Horrible. i got to say, this is my least favourite episode of the season and one of those episodes where... It probably lands in, like, my bottom 10, maybe mm. bottom 15. Um, I think it's, like, you know, it's my favourite show ever, so I still think it's generally quite good. And I think that all of the expressions of love and sex that are all over the story at this point are quite valuable, and they have a lot of yeah. emotional weight behind them. I've just never really been a fan of the final scene. Like, I understand the rest of the episode as a sense of getting from point A to point B, Mm. Um, just in the sense that, like, you know, we did all this at the start of the season as well, where the first two or three episodes are all very much focused on doing a bit of box ticking, moving the story on, that little bit extra. And so, you know, those kinds of episodes for Game of Thrones, you can feel that they are economical and a bit of a yeah. um, bit of an exercise rather than a, a full, lovely story. But I wouldn't really hold that against it because those episodes are still great anyway and you're still in this world and with these characters that are really really dense and really rich and some of the most evocative and some of the most some of just characters and worlds that I've loved more than any show ever. But I think just that final scene, it just a little mark gets knocked off for me because it feels like it's a huge tonal leap. Um, I don't think the presence of a bear in the story feels like it squares with the rest of the world, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. And the fact that the, the bear CGI looks okay, like I think in the end, all that bear really has to do in that scene is look threatening and it does so i think it achieves Mm. its job in that way but i just think it's a bit like jamie walking out of the scene with a bit of a mic drop and it's not it all feels a bit weird tonally which is strange because you know george r R. martin wrote the books and so this is a show it's based on but i do feel like Mm. we you know we have michelle mclaren as well who's a totally new director to the show i mean obviously you know she's very very experienced she's an excellent director She's done loads of TV. Um, she was signed on to do that uh, Wonder Woman movie from a couple of years ago or three years ago uh, until she dropped yeah. out. Um, you know, so she clearly like she knows what he's doing. But I think the fact that George R. R. Martin is involved with a totally new director to the show, I just feel like maybe the juggling of the overall tone of the episode is a bit all over the place. And I feel like with this episode, we do get a window into what the show might be like if George R. R. Martin had written all of it, like the whole show, written every episode, as opposed to the style that David Benioff and Dan Weiss have put on it as showrunners. Um, and it's just just that little difference. And I think the, the final scene is not one of my favourites in the show. Uh, I, I kind of It's one of yeah. the few things from the books that I kind of wish they'd done a bit differently 
or maybe not done it mm. at all because they've made big decisions already this season. Like they've left out entire characters from the books. They've changed whole scenes. They've invented new ones. You know, they've always found a way around it to do something a bit different. And I think they've kind of just gone with this because they think, oh, a bear fight would be cool. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's yeah, it's definitely. I know we'll come to this when we when we get to the scenes, but I feel like there's other ways they could have done that. You know, Jamie rescuing Brienne, which is a huge plot point. Huge. Yeah. The execution just doesn't quite hit the mark. Yeah, I sort of agree there. Um, I think that we'll get into it a little bit more, but I do, I do agree with you on that final scene. Has Lord Tyrion mistreated you? No. Has he been kind to you? He's tried. You don't want him, though? He's a Lannister. Far from the worst Lannister, wouldn't you say? I'm sorry. Here I am complaining to you. My son will be king. Sons learn from their mothers. I plan to teach mine a great deal. So we'll start in King's Landing this week where Sansa is upset at the news that she'll have to marry Tyrion and is reassured by Marjorie that it, it could actually be good for her. And Bronn kind of does the same for Tyrion in a different part of the city. In the throne room, Joffrey meets with Tywin and he begins by complaining that small council meetings are taking place far too, far too far away from his own chambers for him to attend. And Tywin responds by walking up the steps very silently and saying <laughs> that they could arrange to have Joffrey carried to the small council meetings. Uh, Joffrey attempts to change the subject and talk about Daenerys and her dragons, but Tywin kind of dismisses the idea that she could ever be a threat. And in Blackwater Bay, unbeknownst to Joffrey and everybody else in King's Landing, Melisandre and Gendry are sailing past the Red Keep when she tells him that he is the bastard son of the late king, Robert Baratheon. So there is a lot of stuff going on in King's Landing this week. Um, not as much as previous weeks, but I think it's quite a momentous one for... Tyrion and Shay, I feel like Shay's not taken the news very well that Tyrion's going to have to get married to Sansa. No, not at all. She's, I mean, yeah, I've completely sympathised with Shay. Yeah, of course you would. You know, you've just been told that the man you love, the man who brought you to this place, has, yeah, essentially been sold off to another woman and there's nothing you can really do about it and now you're stuck here and it's not that you can tell anybody because if you tell somebody they will kill you yeah you're I in think, between yeah. a rock and a hard place no i agree i think the problem that shay really has in this episode is that she kind of i mean i think that with time you would hope that she would calm down and come to see it for the situation that it is which is that Tyrion's been forced into this there's no real choice element to it but i think that Shay is obviously wondering, what kind of purpose do I have in King's Landing now? What do I have here if I'm going to be seen as the lesser of two people mm. and in the eyes of the public as a mistress rather than Tyrion's actual partner? You are going to feel like you are worth less than you were five minutes ago before you heard this news, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she says it herself. You know, when you're tired of fucking me, I will be nothing. Yeah. She's not wrong. Yeah, she's beginning to feel disposable. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that's not the way Tyrion feels, but 
and I think we are definitely in t- with Tyrion in this scene because we're you know we want Tyrion and Shay to be happy and you know wouldn't it be nice if Tyrion could have this arrangement where in front of the public he could just attend dinners with Sansa but then he can have the relationship with Shay and they can all kind of get on and have the understanding and stuff but obviously there's the whole thing with Sansa and Shay being friends but Sansa not having a clue that Shay and Tyrion are together and all of this stuff and so it's a far too complicated situation for them to just sit down and talk about it unfortunately um mm. Sansa obviously in a similar kind of mood to Tyrion where she's not too bothered because she's got out of marrying Joffrey at least but and Tyrion might be kind to her and we know that Tyrion's one of the better people that Sansa could end up with I think in King's Landing if you were going to be forced to marry any of the Lannisters I think Tyrion's the one that you would definitely pick but oh yeah Sansa obviously doesn't know this she's a young girl anyway um and I do like the conversation that Sansa and Marjorie have together um where Marjorie kind of reassures Sansa and kind of brings around to a more positive way of thinking that you know, she's heard all sorts of wonderful stories about how great Tyrion is and how nice he is and how sexually experienced he is and how well he Mm. might treat Sansa. And I just think that these two, Tyrion and Sansa, are trying to make the best of a bad situation at the moment, trying to maybe see the good side, maybe trying to realise, you know, if we're being forced into this situation, it's not the worst situation that we could be forced into. Um and it is just a a shame that at the moment maybe they they can't quite see that yeah and i think also from from sansa's point of view if she's going to listen to anybody it really ought to be marjorie mhm you know we've we've discussed it before it's like she knows the rules of the game she knows how to sort of twist and manipulate people into her own will not out of you know spite or anything just because she knows she has that ability and she uses it to her advantage. Yeah, and if Marjorie can wrap Joffrey around her little finger, then who can she not wrap around her little finger? That's what I want to exactly. know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I did want to talk about a scene that a lot of fans love and I particularly think is great with Tywin and Joffrey in, yes, in the throne it. room this week. Yeah, talk to me about that. Your reaction was instant there. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's it's that realization that Joffrey has. It's like he's not running things around here, nope. and he's as you also sense some, you know, like Marjorie's thoughts coming out of his mouth, and he even looks a little bit surprised himself to be saying it. Which parts particularly? Oh, um, annoyingly, I've not got them written down, but I think it's more like a, a feeling that before he was just he was almost quite one-dimensional he was just an an evil little prick but Mm. now he's he's actually concerned with you know how he how he comes across to the public how he conducts his business how you know how um how he comes across in general hmm interesting and it's the first time, I think, that Joffrey has cast his eyes eastward as well and thought about Daenerys and the reports about her as well. Yeah. Trying to behave yeah, I... like a king, is he? <laughs> I, f- I feel like the Joffrey of old would not have been interested in council meetings. No, even bothering to attend them. Well, that's sort of the issue that's come up, isn't it? Because he's he's not attending them because he simply hasn't been bothered in the past. 
And now no, suddenly no. he is interested and he's called the meeting with Tywin in the throne room. And yeah, okay, yeah, we'll leave we'll I think we'll leave that there with Joffrey becoming yeah. more interested in kingly duties and we will go to the north, where there's a lot of stuff going on this week. You and your roads. Is that how you lot do your fighting? You march down the road banging drums and waving banners? Most of the time, yes. How do the men holding the banners fight? They don't, really. It's a great honour to carry your house sigil. When the drummers. Is that a great honour too? In a short scene, Osha explains to Bran that she will refuse to go back beyond the wall with them if they carry on with their mission. Uh, it's revealed that Osha once had a husband who was turned into a white and tried to kill her, uh, which is part of the reason why she fled south. Elsewhere, John and Egret are marching south of the wall, and John tries to explain to Egret that the wildling cause it might be futile, and she says that if the wildling's going down, then John must go down with them. And at an unknown location, Theon is awakened and seduced by two women, but before long, the cleaning boy returns, and it's not long before a knife is forced on Theon, who is held to the ground, as the cleaning boy promises to make a few adjustments as the camera kind of blurs and fades away. Uh, ooh, a lot of stuff going on in the North this week. We'll yeah, make yeah. a brief stop in the short scene with Osha, where she's explaining mm. why she won't go beyond the wall. Um, first of all, uh, credit to Hodor for the funniest moment of the episode. Where... Oh, the timing on it. Hodor. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> loads of information, suddenly, about Osha's backstory. Um, this is all, yeah. as far as I'm aware, this is all kind of show original stuff where they give her a bit of motivation for coming south and why she wouldn't want to go back north in the fir- in, like with where they're going and why she's so resistant to Joffrey and Mira being around. Um, mm. It's only a short scene, but what did you make of it? Did you just say Joffrey? Sorry, uh, Jojen. Jojen. <laughs> Jojen, yeah. <laughs> that would be like Joffrey Whoops. and <laughs> Bran on the road. Um, yeah, I think with Osha, it kind of does explain a lot of why she's very, uh, how would you put it, like survivalist. She always seems to be very much like on the precipice of like she knows that it could um things could turn dangerous very quickly and she has to yeah do what she can to survive um i think you mentioned before as well there's like a theme of love running through this episode and yeah. this feels like maybe if you go one deeper than that it's like love hanging on by a thread and you can very quickly lose it as you know we've we've seen with osha mm. We know that she like lost her husband, who, you know, became a white, and yeah, um, Osha lost out, and it could it could well happen to you know John. It could happen to it did happen to Sansa. It could well happen to Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it is. I like the fact that you've uh, taken so much out of a, an incredibly uh, short and kind of monologue related scene. It's just. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a good decision from the show as well. Um, to sort of characterise Osha in this way and to make it seem like, yeah, she's stubborn, but there's a perfectly valid reason for it. And even though she is uh, going against the wishes, because obviously we're kind of keen to see what Bran does when he reaches the wall and maybe goes beyond the wall and that sort of thing. And Osha's kind of resistant to it. And Mm. I think it's nice, though, that the show is giving time to that kind of perspective when it could easily get carried away with, ooh, 
you know, where are we going? Ooh, what's this magic? What's this dream? What's all this? It's just kind of slowly bleeding it out, allowing perspectives to come in that maybe wouldn't have been given space beforehand had they not thought about it. Um, quite a lot of stuff going on with John this week. Um, first of all, really beautiful location to open the episode. Um, but I think, again, these... Again, these... I don't know why George R. R. Martin is just so preoccupied with, like, love and sex this week. It's all over. I mean, I, I like it, but I just... I'm, I don't know what the purpose is behind it. Um, you'd have to ask George himself, I think. But you get the stuff with John and Egret having that conversation where John's like, I'm going to buy you a silk dress so that I could rip it off you. And then Tormund mm. has that really open conversation about sex. And then Oral talks about how he would be a better guy to Egret than John is. And, I mean, the um, the stuff with Tormund is actually quite funny. The, um, most men fuck like dogs. <laughs> Slip like a baby seal and all that. It's, um, yeah, he's hysterical. So, yeah, um, yeah and I, I, do, I do laugh at the line where John says, um, like a girl, like when a girl sees blood and collapses and then Egret's like, why would a girl see blood and collapse? They see a lot more blood than boys. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's very She's true. Not wrong. Yeah, no, she isn't wrong. And I think it's a perfectly valid point to make. And I think that the only thing about this scene that I'm a little bit surprised at, just with the way that, like, the way that she's been characterised so far, I didn't like the way that Egret was written in the scene where she spots that windmill and she's all a bit, like, wide-eyed and naive and, like, a bit born yesterday, where she's like, yeah, is that a windmill? Oh my God! Did 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 a lord build that? And like, no. And John's like, no, just a guy built it. Like, you know, oh, they must have been geniuses building stones so high. It's like she's not an idiot. Like, no, she no, she knows that the wall is a thing that exists. Like, surely she can't be that blown away. I think it was just strange, very very strange scene. Um, but it really pulls itself around about thirty seconds later when Egret's back to kind of like, I think I would guess I'm just used to Egret being wittier and cleverer than john and then they yeah. really have to like dumb her down to make sure that john is suddenly cleverer than egret in this scene mm. for about 20 seconds and then she's back to kind of you know beating him making him second guess himself that sort of thing and she makes the great point towards the end of the scene that if john's going if the wildlings are going down then john's going down with them he can't just get out of this now like as she said in the last episode they're man and woman now and there ain't no way that she's going to go down without taking John with her. And they're kind of tied. Their fates are tied to each other now. That's true. And it's like, as, as much as Egret's kind of painted as being more intelligent than John, she's also a lot more optimistic in yeah. a way. You know, it's, it's that line of six times you've invaded and six times you've failed. John kind of sees the writing on the wall. And I don't think, I don't think Egret kind of has that, idea of doubt in her head because this is all she's ever known it's like we can we can do this and we have to do this or else we will die hmm no precisely um and it suddenly raises the the stakes a lot i think that i think it would be better to come back to the i mean obviously this would be slightly strange to just randomly drop back in but i think that when we finish season four I think it might be best to come back to this little run of episodes and especially this one, because if you remember 
the third book is split across seasons three and four. It was the first time they decided to split a book in half and mm. do it over two seasons. And I think that if you see seasons three and four as one complete story, as one book, this episode might, and especially these sorts of scenes with John and Egret, it might have more resonance for you, I think. Yeah, possibly. Um, you know, without really giving anything away, I think it's just that it, it, that's sort of where this, it's kind of weird because, you know, TV seasons, it's like everything that comes before the end is building up towards the end of the season. But this is kind of playing a longer game at the moment where season four, episode 10 will deliver on things that are in season three, episode three. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it's yeah, and yeah. so I think that with this little run of episodes where it feels like the stakes are kind of slowly rising, but maybe not fast enough, and you get these kind of strange scenes where John and Egret are talking about something that feels like it's a long time away. Um, you might get more out of it when you come back when we finished. Uh, later seasons i think uh, it'd be a weird one to randomly go back to but i know you did that in season two where you randomly went back to <laughs> the start of season one so oh god that feels like a lifetime ago it was only what six months that we yeah dipped out of season one amazing right jesus <laughs> yeah and so we'll go to an unknown location now with theon um what do you make of this scene overall because i find it quite emotionally quite difficult Visually, I think, you know, like, you don't have to endure anything particularly, like, horrible or gruesome. But like you were saying, psychologically, I think that this scene is all over the place and the way that it ends up. um, I mean, can I ask, what do you think the alteration is? Like, what do you think is actually going to happen here? Well, just as soon as you're dropped into the scene, you get that immediate feeling of dread. You know it's not going to end well. And so mm. every, everything before that, that you know, that final scene is, it, it could be literally anything because you know that he's just going to jump out and say, ah, I got you again and it was more torture and now we're going to cut off your dick. Yes. So, um, yeah, sorry, what was your question again? So I'm yeah, you, you get what's happening there. Like yeah. with what with the adjustments that are going to be made. Yeah, so it's um, it's kind of trying to almost strip back Theon of all his identity and all of his traits. Like yeah. somehow he must know that Theon is something of a Lothario in, yeah. or he was anyway. Um, and he also possibly knew last time that he was maybe a bit of a smart Alec a bit too much for his own good and so just mm. when Theon thought he had him figured out he goes well no actually you're wrong I'm gonna cut off your finger now it's it's just yeah. playing games with Theon and that's you know that's all he all he wants to do because well what good is Theon to him yeah um and this scene um mm. this actually makes Theon, uh, in my opinion anyway, and I think obviously in a lot of people's opinions, but we'll talk about this a little bit more, I think, as the show goes on, is that Theon is now a, a victim of sexual violence. Yes, he is. Um, yeah. Again, this theme of sex and sex-adjacent things kind of coming through in this episode where 
this feels like a very because as as far as I'm concerned, um, the two women in the scene, uh, Miranda and Violet, um, it's not the last mm. you see of Miranda. Actually, she makes another appearance. Um, really? They yes, yeah. In um, in later episodes, she does make another appearance. Um, mm. But what they're doing to Theon is kind of like I don't see it as that different to because they're sort of sexually assaulting him because he's like they are yeah, yeah and because he is not. I mean, it's not it's not a scene that is heavily coded, but that is what is happening. And because they kind of wake him up and like he's clearly not himself and he's not really in a position to sort of say anything. He just kind of goes along with it. And then just, I mean, Alfie Allen plays it so well. And then, you know, you get the... the and there's this sudden, like the way that this horn cuts through the... Mm the sound and sort of like makes everything clip and it's just so disorientating and they do such a good job of like just making it seem like he's been rudely awoken twice in this scene and i yeah i find it all so very uncomfortable and as much as it's um might be easier on the eyes i think the effects on the the brain and heart are well they're intense yeah it's not something you often well, I suppose you do see it fairly often in TV. It's um, that mix of um, kind of eroticism and torture. I think. Yeah. I I wish I could come up with more examples. The only one that comes to mind immediately is um, Fifteen Million Merits. You know the Black Mirror episode. Yeah. Yeah, where he's having to watch his, you know, his, his girlfriend having having sex, and he can't mm. skip it because it's all around him. It's on the walls. Yeah. Um, like in this situation, Theon, he can't say no, he can't leave, he can't do anything. He is, yeah, it is, it's torture and as you say, it's most likely sexual assault as well. Mm. Yeah, um, Ugh, dark. Horrible. Really, really yeah. dark. Not, not. Um, I mean, we were sort of joking last season about Theon being lost and saying that we'd ring a bell every mm. time. Obviously, we kind of dropped that for this season because I feel like it's inappropriate to joke about where Theon is at the moment. <laughs> no. Such and is the I... strength of the characterization, I suppose, but well, well how do you feel about this? Cuz I don't think the um, you know, the Theon and the boy dynamic needs this. It already has enough, you know, that we've seen in previous episodes to build a comeuppance storyline on. With hindsight and with everything in mind, I forgive these scenes a lot because it's worth the... I think it's worth where it goes. You have right. to suffer okay. for a long time alongside Theon for everything in the future to kind of feel like it should feel. It's it's strange, but it when you get there, you'll know. And when you get to certain points in the story, you'll look back on these scenes and think, yeah, I think it was probably as much as it's a challenge for new viewers i think you would look back and go okay i can understand why they sat with this for so long and did so many scenes that felt like they were repetitive because they're what i would say with hindsight is that they're really trying to drag you down into like Mm. the pit of what a person can feel when they're going through something like this that's as much as i could say really okay fair enough is that Valerian? Gar. Gar. 
say hello for me. Does she know her daughter's a queen? Not yet. During their journey to the twins, Rob's army is delayed by rain, and Talisa reveals to Rob that she's pregnant with his child. And then elsewhere, the Brotherhood learn that a party of Lannister men are nearby and they set out to ambush them and Arya becomes further disappointed and disillusioned by their appetite for money and treachery and stuff and so she runs away into the night and then in the forest while the Brotherhood are looking for her she is captured by the Hound. So we'll start with the Rob Talisa stuff. Um, Mm. As I said this is a very very horny episode lots of skin lots of Mm. frank nudity and there's yet more of it here. Rob Stark saying things like, how am I supposed to plan a war when you're over there looking like that? That's a, I feel like that's a line that kind of sums uh, up where we are in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, how am it's I bit... supposed to do anything when uh, yeah. there's so much sex around, you know? <laughs> oh, it's like carry on Stark, you know? <laughs> very, very corny, yes. Mm. Um, but I think this is quite a sweet and tender scene, to be honest, like we get some good news. Um, with the pregnancy and then we find out a little bit more about Talisa's backstory that her mother's still alive and mm. um, and it, yeah I just think it's quite sweet it's kind of similar to the one that I think we had in season 2 which I presume is where Talisa became pregnant yeah um, probably probably so that was their, um, their wedding night wasn't it yeah so that was end of season 2 so yeah a couple mm. of months have gone by so yeah that makes sense um so yeah, it was. I, I think it's just it's just kind of nice, really. Um, yeah, nice. It's a love scene. Maybe a bit of a surprise that I like. I know you're trying to run a war and an army, but did you not realize that she was pregnant all this time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the um, the scene in The Simpsons where Marge rushes into the bathroom with morning sickness, <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, come on." <laughs> new job so lisa's <laughs> pregnant ah. <laughs> so um yeah i think it's a similar situation like that where he has just been a bit distracted um yes fair enough and it's just find it funny that it comes after that scene um where they're saying all sorts of horrible things about walder frey and catelyn's like for god's sake boys <laughs> yeah yeah i i guess that makes sense then he's, ha- he's having to not only do that but also deal with this family that he can't be asked with yeah yeah can i ask because he's a new character and he's sort of been around now and he's this is just a random one um what you actually make of the blackfish and edmure's entrance into the show like what do you what do you make of them I still don't know where I stand on them. It's a bit like Thoros of Mir and you know a couple of a couple of those guys I don't mm-hmm. they've not really done much to stand out. I don't think yeah, they're more people I think that I think at this stage they're probably still writing for book fans, and so these mm. are like little nods to larger bits of the books, but I feel like what the show does really well is that it uses characters as kind of like shorthand for world building in mm. a way. And so with the Blackfish and Edmure, you kind of have the face of Catelyn's old family and who she grew up with. And that's all you kind of really need to know. Mm. And that the Blackfish has got a bit of a sharp tongue. 
and doesn't yeah. have much patience for people, which I think is kind of enough. Um, but it's one of those where I'm coming at this, you know, with hindsight, knowing where all these characters are and where they end up and that sort of thing. And so when you're yeah, new I'm... to it, maybe it won't be so, you know, you'd have to sort of sit and wait and be a bit patient. And the patience sometimes can be a bit frustrating and not quite it helps you. It str- you struggle with getting a handle on people. Yeah, and I get that um, Rob kind of needs people on his side. It's not just he can't do everything himself. He's always going to have those, like Bruce Bolton. Yeah. You know, those those underlings. So, yes. yeah, it makes sense. No, precisely. Um, elsewhere in the Riverlands, obviously, with Arya, um, what did you make of the stuff with Arya this week? I only really have one note, which is that when Arya escapes... She uses the training that Sirio Pharrell taught her all the way back in season one, which is you've got to be quick like a cat yeah. in order to move around and you've got to sneak around. But what catches cats? Dogs. Uh, oh, yeah. So, uh. yeah. Um, what do you think is going to happen from here with the Hound and Aya? I would not be able to tell you. Have a guess. Go on, have a guess. I don't, because I want, like, I'm sure that the hound possibly, I don't know where the hound stands, because you I, you know that they have no love lost between them, because mm. of what happened in, in season one, episode two. With Micah, yeah. Yeah, but we also know that the hound was one of the few people trying to protect Sansa in King's Landing. Yeah. So, yeah, um... I would not be able to sell you. <laughs> um, what do you think about... Um, what, now that they've kind of... I mean, just to be honest, they have kind of left the show for a bit now with Arya leaving them behind. Mm. What is your impression of the Brotherhood? Because they were talked a lot about in season two and they were sort of the subject of a few torturous questions and then we finally met them and they seem kind of cool but a bit eccentric. Uh, what's your overall opinion of them? I mean, I get it. They're, they're a sort of band of outlaws. Um, haven't left much of an impression, to be honest. Although I doubt this is the last we see of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will say in this scene, we got the line of the episode as well. Yeah. From Arya, um, when asked, who is your one true god? She replies, death. Yeah. Still that following is... Sirio's teachings. Yes. It's metal as fuck. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Metal as fuck. Yeah. Arya Stark. Metal. (laughs) (laughs) Our empire was old before dragons stirred in old Valyria. Many an army has broken against our walls. You shall find no easy conquest here, Khaleesi. Good. My inside need practice, so I was told to blood them early. If blood is your desire blood shall flow. Daenerys is greeted outside the walls of Yunkai by one of its slave masters who attempts to kind of buy her off and dissuade her from invading the city, even offers her a bunch of ships and says, look, we'll give you a bunch of ships if you just agree to not invade, leave us alone, we'll send you to wherever you want to go. But Daenerys refuses his offer and continues to plan her invasion of the city, stating that every slave is reason to do so. Um... Bit of a short scene, but what do we make of the Yunkai stuff? It feels like... um, I know we had that kind of 
turning point for Daenerys a couple of episodes ago when she um, she won won back the dragon and won the army. But this feels like a bit of a turning point in itself in that it's the first time we really see Daenerys in a position of power when it mm-hmm. comes to negotiating. Okay, uh, what are your impressions of Daenerys being in a position of power and negotiating? I mean, I'm sure it's um, I'm sure it's mostly a good thing for Daenerys because that's what we've that's what we've really wanted from her. But you do wonder if um, Jorah and um, Barristan and Salmi are sort of wondering this is going to make you a lot of enemies, and it seems like she makes one in this episode. Yeah. It's not going to win you a lot of friends, that approach. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I think by the sound of what Daenerys says, she's maybe not in the business of making friends because she says, what happens to things that don't bend? And uh, I just think, you know, she's kind of feeling a bit... Because this is... It's weird watching it with with hindsight, really, just how little power she actually has in the first two whole seasons. No, no. Even in the first half of this season, she's, she's in that position of oh shit, I have to give something up in order to get something. Now it's like she has dragons and they're much bigger. She has an army and it's huge. Yeah, she's a threat. And as much as that is a strong position to be in, you also don't want to leave yourself open to, you know, too many enemies kind of circling you. Hmm. Okay, then. Yeah, okay. Mm. I think we'll just... That's a short visit. I think we'll leave a pin in that. Okay. Until then. Uh, Oh, actually, no. What what do you make of the dragons? Because they're a bit bigger. Yeah, they're very big, aren't they? They are getting bigger, yes. They they had that CGI money this this week. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. They're very loud, and they look kind of threatening. Yeah. And, yeah, they seem to know friend from foe. Clever creatures. Also, there was a nice little callback in the scene. Um, we mentioned before, Joffrey, um, you know, Tywin said someone could carry him. And in this scene, uh, the Yunkai guy, what was his name? <laughs> yes, uh, a name that's not pronounceable without me Googling it, I'm afraid. Yeah, he gets carried to the meeting. It's like, ah, well, Joffrey could do that. <laughs> that's one way of doing it. <laughs> the bitch stays. Taking her to King's Landing, unless you kill me. She belongs to me. Lord Bolton's orders. What do you think is more important to Lord Bolton? Getting his pet rat a reward or ensuring time and Lannister gets his son back alive? Jamie visits Brienne in her cell and tells her that he'll be leaving for King's Landing the next day. Brienne makes him swear that he will uphold his promise and return the Stark girls to Catelyn. Jamie leaves the castle, but soon finds out from Kyburn, who's gone on the road with him, that Brienne will not be ransomed by Locke like he thought back to Selwyn Tarth. Um, so Jamie races back to Harrenhal and in an attempt to rescue her and finds Brienne being forced to fight a, a bear, like an actual bear. The mm. bear and the maiden fair, Lizzie. Did you know? Did you know, Lizzie, that that's the name of the episode, that, um, that there's a bear and a maiden fair? And Brienne is the maiden fair, and that's that's the, that's the episode title, Izzy. Did you know that? George R. R. Martin, everybody. Yeah. Um, Give him a round of applause. <laughs> love you, George. Um, <laughs> and Jamie jumps into the bear pit to save her, and with a little bit of assistance, 
The two manage to escape, and Jamie and Brienne leave Harrenhal with Locke kind of chastising Jamie and bemoaning the fact that he couldn't get what he wanted. So, um, yeah, first mm-hmm. of all, in that moment when they were talking in the yeah. uh, cell that Brienne has, did you trust Jamie when he said that he'd return Sansa and Arya to Catelyn? I mean, obviously, the Arya thing is a little bit out of his control, but Sansa... Um, I think this was, you know, this was the early part of the episode and I still, as much as we've come around to Jamie quite a bit, there is still that feeling of, I, I don't know if you're genuine, you know, I can't, I can't trust you fully as much as I want to, hmm. because we know how you've interacted with the Stark family in the past. Yeah. yeah right well, you, you nearly killed one of them. And no, you nearly killed two of them. You nearly killed um, Ned as well. Yes, through the leg. Yeah, so it's it's okay for you to say now, now that you've had this um, this realization and you've had a bit of an epiphany after losing your your hand. But there's nothing evident in this initial scene to say yes, he is trustworthy. Hmm. But then, obviously, I guess later in the episode, it becomes a little bit more clear that he might be. Yeah, yeah, because he absolutely does not have to do what he did. Yeah, that's the crucial thing, isn't it? Yes, that he does. For the have first our time, it's not for his benefit. He yeah. goes back and decides to rescue her. Mm. Um, before we get to that scene, um, we do have the moment where he sat with Kyburn, who is doing well to land himself a place among the highborn. I gotta say. Mm. Um, with treating Jamie's wound and doing like a really good job on it, um, and I love Jamie's response to Kyburn's question because Jamie's kind of like saying, "What's the like? You experimented on people until they died, basically." And Kyburn's like, "Yep, but you know, it's the trolley problem. I've saved way more lives than I've, uh, you know, I've saved more lives than I've ended." and then he sort of turns that question back on Jamie and he's like, and how many men have you killed? And how many men have you saved? And then Jamie's yeah. like, oh, saved half a million people. Told you two episodes ago, but you weren't there. Psych! And so, yeah. Not, no, it's, not it's directly, good... though, did he? No, no, no. I'm saying no. he told the audience, but like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Kyburn should have been in the baths. You weren't you there. Have had a... you, you missed this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, a little Columbo moment there. It's like, just, just, just one more thing. <laughs> yeah, Kyburn just wasn't in the bath, unfortunately, so he missed Jamie's yeah. story. But no, it's a really good point from Jamie, I think. Um, yeah. Kyburn's still doing a good job of sucking up to the powerful, though. Um, mm. And then we get to the bear scene, and I think that it is a great decision, and I love the fact that Jamie goes back, and mm. I love the fact that he saves Brienne from a, a very perilous and dangerous situation. I love the fact that Locke gets, you know, basically gets the mic dropped on him and he's kind of left, you know, shake harder, boy, when they're leaving Harrenhal. <laughs> um, but I, there's just something about the scene that just feels off to me. And it's a shame because mm. I think it's the presence of the bear. I think that... It's, yeah, it is the bear. Is it definitely CG, that bear? Uh, I think it's something that with animals in this, with real animals like the direwolves and stuff, yeah. Um, they film them separately and then put the images in. Yeah. Or something yeah. I know, like I know, that. I know what you mean, yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't, I don't mind that the bear is CG. I think, like I was saying before, all it has to do is look a bit threatening. And it, it does that. It works. It, that's totally fine. You believe in the emotions of the scene, and that means it's done its job. But I just think the scene itself is just kind of a bit like... I mean, it's from the books. Like, it, it, it's a thing. But I just think mm. the way that they've adapted it in this episode, it just makes it feel a little bit like they've reached, like, 54 minutes. And they're like, oh... Uh, we've not really had much action this week. What do you want to do? Because last week we had the wall climb right at the end of the episode and mm. we had that Roz was dead. And so yep. this week, why don't we put the bear thing at the end of this episode and then we'll end there then. And then they go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And it just like you were saying to me, the way you put it to me in that message that it felt a bit tacked on. It did, yeah. Is kind of how I felt too. Um, and it, yeah, it's never really been a favourite episode of mine, this, and this scene does drag it down a little bit. I think this is an ordinarily just kind of like one of those episodes the show does every now and again. It's necessary where they just kind of move things into place and we'll talk around a theme in some of the scenes and that'll be that. But yeah. the, the bear thing is just, yeah, it just the presence of the bear in this show, it feels a little bit like we've maybe... I don't know what the feeling is. Like, it kind of takes me out of the world for a second. Yeah, you have to think about whether bears even exist in the universe and that sort of thing. I think even after that as well, you know, Jamie leaving with Brienne, it feels like an officer and a gentleman or something. It doesn't feel Mm. like Game of Thrones. Yeah, (laughs) you know, it's yeah. No, it is a funny tonal shift. Yeah, it feels sappy, if anything. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, it does end on my favourite rendition of uh, The Reigns of Castamere, mm. um, the Lannister song, where it's the... Because it, it starts with the... And it's um, on... I mean, you, I don't, you won't have this, but on the, um, on the Blu-ray menu uh, for season three, um, mm. it, that version that plays this episode out plays over like uh, the menus, like when you're selecting what episode you want to watch and if you want to watch oh, special cool. features and cool. things like that. Um, and so uh, it, it's a really sweet moment and like the music, I feel like the music in this season has really gone up a notch with regards to how much prominence it's given in the mix and how much attention is paid to it and how much Ramin Javadi is doing that old kind of classical motif based storytelling through music kind of thing. And mm, he yeah. really got his moment last week and he shone last week at the end with John and Egret uh, kissing on the wall that was a really beautiful swell of music. And I feel like this episode ends on a really good uh, piece of music as well. But yeah, just the stuff that happens before it. I've always loved the way that Brienne's wound looks. That always looks like it hurts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Three bear claws across the neck. And like, you know, you are sort of worried for her. But I just think the way that it's like, Jamie's like jumping in the scene like Spider-Man. And then it's like, oh, got to climb out like Spider-Man. And it's all a bit like people climbing away from threatening bears just at the last moment. It's like, this isn't... What? This isn't Game of Thrones yet. Like, you know... It's, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, like, it's a fine scene. It's just one of those in this show where I kind of look back and think, eh, I, I could kind of give or take. You know, maybe they could do something different, like... Because uh, you can't have Brienne facing off against a few blokes... Because we've seen Brienne beat blokes down into the dirt before, no matter how many of them there are. So that wouldn't be convincing. I guess if it's like, I don't know, 
you know, ten against one and they're all in this same space and Or I'm just thinking yeah. like men on horses or something. Yeah, maybe. Or, yeah, just or, something a bit different. Because yeah. I think the bear is awkward. The bear makes it awkward, I think. Um right, I think that's it for the bear and the maiden fair, so I'm going to ask who your loser is this week. And you can't say the bear because yeah, he's I mean, not a real person. That's it for the bear <laughs> and the maiden fair. And that's also it for this episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my loser of the week. Did you say loser? Yes, your loser. Ah, thank you. I'll just, just make sure. Um, my loser of the week is the fucking boy. Of course it is. The who cleaning boy again. Be? Oh my God. You really, well, uh, you do not no- like this guy. There's nobody else in this episode that comes close. <laughs> tell, tell me there is somebody on the level of literal torture porn. Yeah. There's nothing. There is nothing. God, this is his third nomination I this season. I hate him. I hate him. I want him to die. Ugh. Okay, carry on. I think he has had the most nominations of any character. And Oh, no, uh, Joffrey got three nominations in season one. Hmm. And... Stannis, Joffrey, and Cersei all got two nominations each in season two. So this guy has had three nominations already this season, and we're only seven episodes in. Wow. More to come, I'm sure. <laughs> and your winner, who's your winner? Uh, this was a bit of a tough one this week. Nobody nobody really stood out, I guess. I think if I was going to go with anybody, I would say Jamie, because, okay. as I said... He did not have to go back and rescue Brienne, and he did that just because, I don't know, maybe he loves her, maybe he just respects her. But, yeah, mm. good on you, Jamie. Oh, good. All right, then. Um, so, as I said at the start of the episode, we have our interview with uh, Miltos Yerolemu, who played Sirio Pharrell. The first part of that interview is out now. Second part of the interview, where it's just me and him talking about the rest of the show after season one, that will be out at the end of the season, after our episode for the season three finale. Next week, we've got season three, episode eight, which is called Second Sons. And a week after that, me and Lizzie are finally going to be able to watch an episode together. We won't be recording the episode together but we'll try and do something to mark the occasion. We'll just sort of record a little voice message going, saying, hey, here's Rob and here's Lizzie and we're in the same room. How great is this? And um, I don't know, maybe we'll take a selfie and post it on our feed or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, then. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.